Like so many others, who you are is largely a result of your past. We have so many positive and not so positive experiences that we start to doubt ourselves and our place in this world. Let the healing process start now. Welcome to Shift Happens with Karin Weary. When you start to focus on healing from the inside out, you'll learn so much more about your own health, your well-being, and your state of mind. Once you've started on that, the rest gets a little bit easier every day. Now, here is your host, Karin Weary. Hello and welcome to Shift Happens. I am your host, Karin Weary, licensed marriage and family therapist and breakthrough life coach. Today, well, every week we make shift happen, but today is a topic that I am so super passionate about. And because of that, uh, we are dedicating the whole hour without any other commercials and messages breaking this up because this is the true epidemic. We are talking about our future, our our kids who are endangered and put in very precarious places and situations, and what can we do about it? Uh, this topic today is about human trafficking, and it is really an epidemic. It is so far beyond what a lot of people actually realize because it is not covered in mainstream media, sadly. And it is many times very much ignored and downplayed. And they're not policies set in place to really protect our children. And uh, so this is actually the fourth show that I've had on this particular topic. And if this is something that you also are passionate about and you want to share and get this information out, uh, let me tell you the other dates that you can scroll back in the episodes of Shift Happens to find. The first episode that we did was back in December 17th, 2019 with Jen Edwards. And she works on prevention and going into the schools and working with parents so that we can put the power in kids and parents hands and know what to look for and what to do so we can try to prevent as much as possible. And back in December 1st, 2020, we had uh, today's guest, Andy Berger, on for the first time. Yay. And then on January 26th of this year, 2021, we had uh, attorney Ashley Barlow-John. Oh, God, I've just butchered her, butchered her name. <laughs> but she works also to, um, you know, to help people who are in uh, human trafficking, help them get out and uh, all the legalities that they have to go through. So today, let me introduce re um, our returning guest, Andy Berger. She is also an attorney. She is co-founder of Voices of Against Trafficking, which brings together national and international partners dedicated to eradicating the business of profiting in human lives. Andy is also co-founder of Beulah's Place in Redmond, Oregon, a shelter um, for homeless teens whose mission is to provide victims and at-risk kids uh, help, healing, and most of all, hope in a non-judgmental environment. Andy is herself a survivor of many years of childhood abuse, and she is a lifelong advocate for human rights. 
She is also the author of A Fragile Thread of Hope, One Survivor's Quest to Rescue. And she's a sought-after international speaker and frequent guest on radio and television programs regarding the issue of human trafficking. And this month happens to be Child Abuse Awareness Month. So welcome, Andy. Thank you so much for coming back and sharing your wealth of knowledge in this area. Oh, it's my honor, Corinne. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity, and thank you for being a frontline advocate for our children in this country and all over. We need more media people and more folks like you doing that, so thank you. Absolutely. It's, to me, it's mind-blowing how you can look at an innocent little child, these beautiful little precious faces, little souls, and and do the horrendous things that are done to them. But it happens, mm-hmm. and it is our responsibility to protect them. And the other part is that happens, you know, as kids have been treated this way, and I have in my, in the work that I've done over many decades, I've worked with kids who have been in and out of foster care. I've worked with adults who, you know, survived that system. I have worked with um, social workers who work in the system who were traumatized themselves by working the system because the system mm-hmm. itself is so horrendous. It does not, I mean, there are cases where, you know, they they try to do their best, but, you know, with the system the way it is, but the system is so horrendous, it just needs to be broken down and rebuilt uh, in a way. To, so when it, the workers themselves are getting traumatized by the work that they're doing, you know it's bad. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it makes sense because when you hear, even when uh, my writer, Kay, and I wrote that book and, and got it out there, the, the four stories that we shared, uh, they were traumatizing when I first heard them. And I rescued those kids. I mean, it just, even, I can't imagine frontline workers like you just mentioned in mental health care and counseling and, and other ways, emergency rooms, what they go through when they hear and see the effect of child abuse, of sexual abuse, of all of those things that go into dehumanizing uh, a human being, and as you said, a little child. We know in this country alone, uh, Corinne, that that eighty percent of all the child deaths from child abuse are usually five years and younger, and and eighty percent, you know, are five years and younger. That's horrible. We are yeah. literally beating our children to death. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing is that this level of abuse. So many obviously don't survive it. And and then there's the other piece, which we brought up, I brought up last time you were on here. Uh, these kids then grow up when they do survive childhood, as you did yourself. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, now this is not a whole human being. This is someone who's been dehumanized, uh, yeah. just torn apart day in and day out. And guess what usually happens? They step into abusive relationships. They self-medicate with alcohol and drugs. They go and work in you know, the, my my most worst term, gentlemen's clubs. I'm sorry, there are no gentlemen that go to goes to those things. <laughs> places. Absolutely. In my opinion, when you go and frequent those places, you are contributing to human trafficking. Just because they're adults now, they are vulnerable. Uh, 
you know, uh, human beings who they just don't know any better. Absolutely. Uh, one of the girls we rescued, oh, about four or five years ago, uh, she was just 18, and all she thought she was worth was being used by men, you know, because she would get money or dinners or a place to sleep for the night. And so anything they wanted, she would offer because that's what she was trained to do. But even in smaller towns or smaller regions, uh, we had a district attorney that actually believes that as soon as the girl's 18, if she is a prostitute, she chose that. Absolutely no regard for how she got there, why she might be doing that, or if she's actually being trafficked, you know, and just happens to be in a prostitution ring. So you're right. I mean, it's it's a miracle that I did not go that path. Uh, I was sexually and physically and emotionally, mentally abused from six months forward until I was 17, and I was trafficked by family members. And familial trafficking, as you are aware, is harder to catch because uh, the predators live with you. And they have a bloodline that covers them if, if you even try to talk to anyone. And that's the same with child abusers. They are covered, especially if they're family members. And one of the things I try to encourage people is not just if you see something, say something, but if you are a family member, stand up for that child. Don't, don't be, oh, well, I don't want to embarrass anyone or, you know, what if I'm wrong? If anyone would have stepped in, I would not have the physical issues I have today from all of the abuse and all of the stuff that happened to me for those 17 years of my life. And one of the things I think a lot of people don't really quite understand the depth and breadth of is how, I mean, we we hear it, but it may seem kind of cliche-like, but those are formative years and this is the foundation of who you are. And while we can go in and heal that, it the longer it takes place, if that's all you ever known, I mean, in your case, you were six months old, you, were, you, had, <laughs> you had no chance. And yet here you are, you know, standing up and speaking up international speaker and providing safety and hope for survivors. Well, you're absolutely right. I went through all of my elementary school years, all of my high school year, years feeling like yesterday's garbage. Like I was, if, if the people who raised me didn't love me, how could anybody else love me? And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, broken relationships. So I had a very abusive first marriage. And thankfully now I'm, I'm blessed with a, an amazing husband and amazing relationship. And, uh, but, but it was a hard, hard road because I didn't know anything. I didn't have any examples of how to be treated or how to treat other people. The only thing I knew was a very primal, if I live, I win. And if I die, they win. And so even though I did try to take my life a few times, you know, in my life, God interceded. In other people's lives, it's something else. But I could have very easily become part of a different kind of sex trafficking ring or gone to alcoholism or gone into drug use or simply just been used until I couldn't be used anymore. That would have been the normal course for someone who, who survived or who, who went through what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the person that stands out in my memory that I worked with that uh, had the um, worst effects 
you probably had been through the worst abuse that I've worked with anybody. She herself felt like a non-human. This is what she was saying. It was in her entire demeanor who could, she could not hold eye contact. It took years before she could just look up and, and have eye contact with me for five seconds. And, you know, and, and so exactly that. And, and to go around life, it, it's really hard to, to, um, even imagine what it's like when you yourself have been fortunate enough to grow up being loved. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and to that point, when someone who does survive abuse or manages to function, you know, as you know, there's higher levels of functioning, lower levels in between levels, but if they are functioning, they, that whole, idea of love or uh, security or relationship when normal happens, it's a weird experience, I can tell you, you know, from my experience when somebody actually treats you kindly or, or, or you marry someone who, who truly loves you for who you are and you're like, um, you know, do I trust this? What do I do with it? Uh, what is normal to other people? Because I certainly didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so how, do you still feel that kind of strangeness in being loved now at this point in your life or it, are you no. starting to? No. Okay. No, I feel I do truly know genuine love and I do know that um, when somebody expresses that to me, I sense the reality of it, if it's genuine or if it's just, you know, kind of surface or whatever. But it took years. I'm almost six decades into this life. And, <laughs> you know, it's really been the last 10 years that I got it, right? <laughs> that I experienced it. And it wasn't for lack of people trying to love me. I just mm-hmm. always had that little bit of, yeah, but, you know, what if, or if I disappoint them, or I'm not perfect, or I don't buy them something, or whatever it was. It took a long time to really get my identity and find my worth. And, and I had pieces of it, but it just wasn't a, a natural part of my life until maybe about nine years into uh, my marriage with my husband, Ed. And then it was like, okay, all right, I can actually be happy and this person isn't going anywhere and he, he loves me with all his heart, that kind of stuff. But even in friendships with other women or men, it was one of those things that I really had to work at because I, I didn't have that much experience with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your whole nervous system is set up to, uh, it's, it's totally askew because our nervous system is set up so that it's supposed to go into fight or flight when we're, when we need it. And then it's supposed to come back down to normal levels. But in growing up how you were, it was just totally jacked up and always up there because you were always in danger. Absolutely. Always. Absolutely. And even when I left, you're mentally still imprisoned by all the the self-talk and the negativity and the the PTSD, which really, uh, in truth, this last year was the first time I ever even admitted that or brought that up to my medical doctor because we were discussing uh, different things. And and for me, the whole mask issue is, an, is a problem because I have seizure issues and things like that. So we were talking about, oh, and by the way, you know, having people try to choke you to death a number of times, that doesn't help either, you know, with, mm. with the PTSD stuff. There's a lot of triggers with uh, people being, um, you can't identify them. It's hard to tell what somebody is communicating to you when they have glasses and hats and masks and things. So imagine a child 
you know, trying to report or trying to tell somebody, you know, that they've been hurt. What do they say right now? But, but I was so hurt and beaten down and traumatized and pounded on that I couldn't even stand the touch of somebody if they hugged me. I, I freaked out inside and it took a lot of therapy and a lot of years to get over that. That's how severe it was for me. But I never let anyone know I had that game face on because that's what you do to survive. Yeah, yeah, that is that piece um, of there's a turmoil going on on the inside, but other people probably can't see it. Right, right. And so you you become the overachiever, the pleaser. The uh, There were times when I was, I think I was between college and law school, and I was just so lonely. And I, I tried to be active, you know, I was active in church, I was active in social things. I tried to be active with people, but, you know, Los Angeles was a big town, which is where I grew up and, and Orange County areas. And so, uh, but I was so lonely, I would actually give a gift to friends of friends who were getting married or having babies, just so I could be part of that for a short period of time, or somebody would talk to me. That's how desperate it was, uh, Corinne, and I know that loneliness drives people maybe who don't uh, have the strength or courage yet, you know, to keep walking forward or living forward to drugs, to alcohol, to uh, multiple relationships, to uh, a lot of sexual liaisons because they're looking for that fill. They're looking for something to fill that huge black hole of theirs. And so thankfully, you know, got out of that cycle, but that's how deep it can go. So imagine now you have a, a child or a young teen and somebody says, hey, you know, uh, how would you like to go out for a Coke or, or I'd love for you to come to this party, right? And you're going to meet a lot of great friends and, and because they can sense, they can smell the vulnerability in this young person. They can tell that maybe they're neglected or they're abused or they, they simply don't have any parental intercession or anyone really watching them. And so like one of my girls that we rescued, uh, she was introduced to a 30-year-old woman. She was 17, and this woman buddied up to her, took her to lunch, bought her some little presents, you know, created that trust and... A few months down the road, in that particular case, hey, come meet some of my friends. They're going to be at the hotel down the road. Would really like you to meet them. And it didn't work out quite that way for that girl. She ended up being used and being sold and being controlled by that, saying, you're the one that's going to go to jail because no one will believe you. Mm. So that's how easily it can happen with someone who's traumatized from the abuse or, or they simply are lost in life uh, as a young person because they don't have anyone uh, to be their hero or to back them up. Yeah. And this is where it, as a parent, being strong is so important, you know, that kids feel that safety that yeah, I have back up. If there's something I don't like, I can go there. So just, you know, so how does that actually work, you know, with regards to the, the 30-year-old woman and, you know, was telling the 17-year-old, I have these friends, and then she was sold. So how does a sale of a human being actually take place? Like, look, practically. 
Well, um, in that particular case, you know, I, I wasn't there firsthand, but uh, from her, her story, which is in my book, you know, it, it doesn't go into a lot of detail about that. But basically, the girl felt indebted to this woman because she had been nice to her. And I get that because anyone who's nice to someone who's been abused or hurt in such a way, and, and for me, I think sexual violation is the most intimate kind of abuse and torture because it's, it is it's just so intimate. But all abuse is bad, mental, emotional, physical, sexual, all of that's bad. Uh, but with this particular woman, the girl felt indebted because she had been nice to her and had taken her to lunch. She didn't want to lose that. She wanted to please her. Okay, so at that point, she never got any of the money, but she was caught. She was trapped because she Mm -hmm. didn't have anyone to reach out to. And it wasn't until just after her 18th birthday that she reached out to us that she had heard about us and we were able to help her. But at that point, the damages is well done. Yeah. So that's one example. Mm -hmm. And then another one is with... um, college kids, uh, an ex-Navy SEAL friend of mine years ago said, Andy, you know, the traffickers are smart. They, they're hiring. They are hiring. They are paying college students to target other young people and invite them into a trust relationship and then, you know, take them to one of those parties or take them someplace where they will have no way to escape and become part of a trafficking ring. So at that time, the rate was about 1500 for a young man to target one girl and, and get her uh, secluded or isolated enough where uh, she trusted him. And then he would take her to uh, wherever the house or the, the place was where the trafficking ring, you know, would scoop her up. And then the gangs, you know, are doing the same thing. People need to realize that when gangs push drugs, right, you have to get the you have to get the materials, the ingredients, you have to make it, you have to package it, you have to distribute it. There's a lot of different ways to get caught. But if you're a gang member and let's say you're a male gang member and you invite your girlfriend over to a little party with your friends and you sell her 10, 20 times that night, which is not unusual, and you get paid for that, who is she going to tell the next morning if she survives? Right? right? You escape. There's no way she's going to go home and say, hey, guess what happened to me? Right? Um, she, so the gang person gets the money and there's no chance of them really getting caught unless the girl has the courage to report. And if she does have the courage, most likely, uh, Karen, they, she, she will not be believed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that is that whole piece of consent or not consent you know so you might have consented to one part to hug or kiss or whatever kind of thing but then it when it goes further and you know then where is that distinction and and it it's that gray area like you said is so much easier with human trafficking to you know, and plus you don't have to have more, you have that same person you just sell over and over and over again. So it's very profitable. Yes, absolutely. And so the predators, we have a huge situation and, and not to be political, but just the sale right now of children, the going rate is $3,200, you know, uh, 
at the border. And so that's just horrific. But in everyday life, in every town, we know that every 40 seconds, a child 18 and under is abducted. We know that uh, Donald Washington from the U.S. Marshal Service and the Marshal Service uh, has been doing a great job finding missing kids. But, but that is an astounding statistic when you think about it every 40 seconds. I'm not a math major, so I can't tell you how many kids will go missing in our hour together, but, but it's a lot. More and than 60. So, yeah. Um, so the, the, the whole uh, point of one, of, uh, one of the points, I should say, of my message is, look, if you're listening and watching this, you need to know that it happens. And it, the predators don't look like the people you see in the movies. I mean, some of them, yes, they are uh, from different countries, but the, the basic predator looks like your dentist or the school teacher or the coach. And we know from recent scandals in universities like USC, you know, the gynecologist, over 700 females uh, were violated. And the district attorney did nothing to help those girls. So we have a very, very broken system, as you mentioned earlier. And we have uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania over and over. We see universities and colleges that are are getting um, lawsuits against them. But in regular schools, do you really know who your child is with? Has the elementary school principal been vetted? Have the coaches been vetted? Has the kitchen staff been vetted? Um, if you have a tutor, you take your kids to music lessons. You know, do you really know who you're leaving your kids with? And it's not that you have to be a police state in your home. It's that you have to be integrated into your kids' lives. And whether you're working uh, as a single parent or there's two parents or there's guardians, it does take time, but your child should be worth that investment. Yeah, yeah. And and it's challenging because once you get to school or and especially high school, uh, the staff is, you know, enormous. The schools are enormous. Uh, and, and then again, what I also, I can't remember if it was you or or Jen Edwards or all of you that we're talking about how they're they also get kids to um, you know to to lure kids into I mean it's, mm-hmm. it becomes kid on kid uh, luring them into the rings. So. Yes, absolutely, peer to peer, and we saw this even with Epstein and Maxwell in the you know the the national cases that uh, a lot of times predators will have a, a male and female. Because when you think about it, if you're a young woman, let's say you're, you're, you're anywhere from 15, 16 years old to, you know, 21, and you see a woman that looks like Jelaine Maxwell, and she's dressed nice, and she's got expensive shoes, and, and she looks successful, and she speaks well, and she's got nice teeth and good makeup and all that, right? A lot of aspiring young women would want to be like her, okay, without really knowing any background. And so uh, females are being used as well as males to, to expand the trafficking marketplace, which globally is over $160 billion. In the U.S., it's about $40 billion or more. So we're talking a lot of money. And uh, of that global number, $95 billion is all sex trafficking. The rest is labor and other things. Mm. Yeah, and and that's the piece also that a lot of people think, oh, that happens in Thailand and over in the east, but no, yeah, it it and 
people are being imported to uh, the U.S., right? And and is there a, is there a certain way back and forth that that the trafficking happens more so than another? I. Well, before uh, January, before this year, uh, usually uh, your ports, you know, where there are waterways like, you know, Portland, Oregon, or, you know, the the Gulf, things like that, uh, New York, anywhere where containers, literally containers of people or can, or uh, passage by water can happen. Obviously, the airways, although uh, one of our charter members in Voices Against Trafficking, uh, Nancy Rivard and airline ambassadors, are doing a stellar job of training all personnel on, on airlines about how to, how to spot traffickers or, or victims, you know, and, and what looks suspicious. So they're, they're doing a great job with that, but airlines, obviously, and then trucking, not just trucking as in commercial truckers, but we had a case not too long ago where a gentleman had a young woman. She was probably just 20 and was driving a moving van and stopped at a homeless shelter for the night. And she tried to tell the staff that she didn't want to go with him and that she uh, was being hurt, but unfortunately, the predator, the male, was very quick, and he kind of guessed what was going on in the kitchen, and he grabbed her and left. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot about awareness, education, training, and unfortunately, in that particular instance, uh, it was a first-time event, and so, you know, the staff obviously didn't know. They, tr- they wanted to help, but they didn't know how. And so we're trying to get the word out about how to help. Go to your local law enforcement. Find out what you can report, what to look for. You know, really find out, are the kids missing because they're just teenagers who are rebellious? Maybe a few, but probably not most of them. That's what I can say with authority. Yeah. And when you were talking about the border, uh, talk a little bit about what's going on. I, I I don't really watch the news, you know, but I've seen, you know, a couple of pictures of you know, little kids just being dumped, you know, kind of dropped uh, off the wall there. And, and then yes. there they are. Uh, exactly. And there are thousands of them every single day coming across. And why now? Why all of a sudden in the last two or three months we have this deluge of, of unaccompanied children? Now, it's one thing to say, oh, they have family in the States. But if that's true, why isn't the family there waiting for them? You know, why isn't the family there to pick them up? And who's monitoring uh, the adults that are supposedly with these children? Uh, do we really know that they're the family? I mean, 80% of the women coming across the border right now, um, they, and I, I apologize for the, for the brutal part of this, but they're called raping trees. They are violated. And so they are, if they survive and they come over, they're not necessarily attached to kids. A lot of times the predators will force adults and children to be together to get over. But now they're just throwing kids over the, over the line, so to speak. And they're being sold for 3,200, 3,700. That was the last um, number I have from my friends who are on the border doing what I do there, trying to pick up as many kids as possible and shelter them and protect them because what do you do with 7,000 children suddenly? Where do you put them? The conditions yeah. that they're experiencing are no better than, than an animal in a cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just mind-blowing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's hope. There is hope. Yes. Like, 
like the people working on the border to help these kids uh, the best they can. There's, there's way too many, and we need our legislators. Why aren't more legislators upset about this? Why aren't they making more visits? And, of course, you know, obviously the administration, why has no one gone down there? And why are they not allowing, um, you know, more photography and more videos of what's happening down there? And I think the entire nation would be stunned if they saw what was going on. Hearing it, seeing clips on general media is one thing, but to really know, you know, how many kids are, are coming over and they have nothing. What do you do with these young people? Let's say it's a teenager. Where are they going to find work? Where are they going to get health, uh, their health needs? Have they been tested, you know, for COVID? But the hope is we create the awareness. We ask people, look, during this time right now, make that call to the mayor, you know, to the DAs, to the local law enforcement. And if you don't get anything, they're in your area, you know, make the calls to your representatives. Whoever you voted for, that person is accountable to you. They're not always held to accountability, but they need to account for what is their position on child abuse? What is their position on penalties for people caught abusing their children, you know, or distributing videos of beating children, which has happened, you know, in the past couple of years. Uh, for some reason, some people find that entertaining, and so, you know, what are the penalties and why are we not enforcing them? Where are the other legislators from all 50 states on this border issue? So if we don't press in and demand human rights for every human, including the children, especially the children, the future of all countries, then we are going to continue to have the situation we have. We're going to lose more children to death. And we're going to have more uh, walking wounded, just like I have been my whole life. The difference is I found ways to heal and get counseling and to make different choices, but I had to do all of that myself. There wasn't anyone that helped me with it. And so my goal is if we all stand up together, united, Corinne, then we can do more. And that's what Voices Against Trafficking is about. You know, any voice can, can be a part of the solution. And again, if we see something, we need to say something, and we do need to be more involved. We do need to monitor the Internet and what our kids and teens and college students are looking at. You know, check the histories. We, we do need to understand not every person on the Internet is a good person. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just reading over some of the information, the statistics that you sent me. um, And it talks about how studies indicate significant undercounting of child maltreatment fatalities by some state agencies by 50% or more. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I know. uh, 50%. yeah. And, and one of the social workers that I uh, have been working with this year was telling me how uh, the reports have gone up two and a half times or, or cases have gone up two and a half times, um, you know, during this whole, you know, situation we've had. And the other part that's really scary is with regards to the mask on several uh, things, you know, one, you know, how, like you said, it, it's triggering for a lot of people, you know, it's, it's hard to, 
to breathe. It, it reduces, it literally reduces our oxygen. I have a nurse neighbor who was, you know, she measured her oxygen, you know, on, on that while right. she was wearing a mask. And, and then, but also then I came across an article which really jogged my brain was because, you know, how babies are brains are, you know, set to look at faces and, and really zoom in. And this is how they learn how to read people and this, that, and the other. And so if all these babies, they're just seeing eyes, it will really, it, it's a whole um, kind of sensitive period that is, is part of their development that's being um, really, um, you know, damaged to you know, their the, Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're right on. And, and again, you know, the unchecked mandates or lockdowns or whatever we want to call it at this point, that increase is so exponential. It, it, it's hard to get the exact number because kids are not reporting. They don't know who's on the other end of the internet, but they're less likely to report to a teacher if they're actually doing online schooling or to anyone else. They're trapped in the familial cycle or they're trapped in a babysitter cycle, maybe, you know, wherever they are uh, while the parents are working. So they don't really have the way to escape or to run down the hallway of a school and tell somebody, you know, they're being hurt. It's just, it's horrific. And I am just really surprised there isn't more outrage over this because the numbers are going to hurt those kids for the rest of their lives and families because, as you know, the trauma, the body memories, all of that will follow them and it, it will go to the functionality of future generations. So stepping up now saying, hey, we want our community to do more about this issue, whether you have 10 people in your neighborhood or, you know, 100 people in your community or you have thousands, you know, or millions, you know, in your community. Everyone needs to play a part in this. You cannot have victims without predators. And before all of this happened, we knew that one to two girls out of every four would be sexually abused minimally. And it was about one out of every six boys. Now the boys, you know, have creeped up to two or three and the girls are way more than 50%. Wow. So we need to stop this and we need to stop it now. And, and there are a lot of solutions like we talked about, you know, check the internet, have a, have a safe system. For example, if you have a teenage daughter and she really wants to go out with her friends, great. Okay, teach her, have a, have a code word, have something that she can text you if she feels in danger or in trouble. Have some kind of plan, you know, some exit plan if, if she's going out and learning how to be independent. Okay, have some kind of system. And if something happens or if there's, you know, a mistake, uh, let them be uh, free to speak to you as the adult without shame or without blame. You know, get to the heart of the matter and then, you know, correct the path. But college students, you know, hey, let's go party, right? It's just beer or it's just wine or whatever it is. But I encourage young people, you need to watch. If you choose to drink, you need to watch that drink. Do not set it down. Do not let someone else carry it for you. You don't know what they'll put in there. And so it's not a judgment against having a drink. It's a, it's a cautionary tale. It's be wise, you know, have a system. If you feel you're in trouble or you might be uncomfortable with the situation, you know, with a peer. So it's basic things that we can teach our young people. 
we teach them to say no to drugs. We teach them uh, that if you want to protect things that are important, you put them in a storage unit, right? <laughs> or you yeah. put a fence around it. But we don't teach them how to protect themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's good good advice. I have a 16-year-old son myself, and, you know, and, and so one of the things that I always look at is like, well, he's got good judgment, which he does. He has good good people senses and, and all of that. But yeah, it's it's good to know how to talk to them, what kinds of things are some things to look out for, and to have those com- non-judgmental conversations, which is also part of what you're talking about in your with your Beulah's place. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because if if they're afraid to talk to you, they're more likely to get hurt or get into something that's irreversible. And and one quick example of that, um, it it wasn't one of our kids, but uh, a different a different uh, a different observer uh, sent it to me. She said, you know, uh, a friend of mine had a daughter. At 16, she was invited by a young boy, kind of like a first date type of thing, to go have a soda at a big box store. I think it was Target. And so uh, they agreed, uh, he agreed to pick her up in his car, which he did. They go to Target. But before he even gets into the doors with her, he says, you know, I'm so not feeling well. I'm really sick. Um, don't think I can really... Uh, I can really do this, but uh, let me call one of my friends, and I'll have them take you home. How, how about that? So he texts or calls the friends, and she doesn't know what to do, right? She's not even sure mom knows she's really going out with this young boy. Uh, but it's afternoon. She's got her backpack, and mom, smartly, had sewn in a place for the girl's phone. Well, when the car showed up, there were three boys in it. And she was grabbed. They didn't take the time to look through her backpack. And so when she didn't come home, you know, mom gets concerned and she went to the police. They tracked the GPS or whatever it is in the girl's phone. There was enough battery left. But by the time they got her, she was already from California across state lines into Arizona. And she went home, not the same young, innocent girl she was when she left. But she was alive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the thing is that I never want to scare people because we have a lot of fear tactics. It's more about awareness and, and yeah, tools, what to look for, how to discern and how to communicate and that safety and non-judgmental piece. And for us as adults to put that part of us, on the shelf and allow the safe space for our kids to talk is is huge. Absolutely, because even though they may be responsible and they may be, um, you know, good kids and all of that, it's not about good, bad, responsible or not. They're still young. They're yeah. still kids growing into young adults, but they don't have enough of that experience. And so, you know, if let's say you have a 16-year-old and and in our area, there are jobs that, you know, the 15, 16-year-old range is, you know, a little bit difficult uh, just because of the age. So there are people that will say, hey, come mow my grass, right, or uh, come clean my house, or you, know, you offer kids any kind of summer job that you can. And we try and create work for the kids that we help if they're minors uh, and they can't get a normal job uh, like an 18-year-old could with a car. Um, so we try and help. But we also are very careful about the ads, where it's coming from. Do, you know, we check it out. Are you sure this is legit? Or we teach them, here's how you check out. How, here's how you trust and verify. 
identify whether that person is safe or whether that's a real job or if it's just kind of um, something where they're trying to get teens to show up and then grab them. So it's very difficult, but you've got to do the work. And that's where the hope is. If we do the work, we rescued and housed uh, over 42 kids uh, before COVID. And we, we do still try and help them on the street in their cars, put them in motel rooms, whatever we can uh, for housing right now. But bef- And we also helped about 200 minors. And so we try to get the word out that we can, we can save our children from this heinous pandemic, uh, this assault against their human rights. But we have to care about it first. And secondly, we have to be willing to be educated and be aware of it. And that's where the hope is. And if someone like me can make it, any of these kids can make it. But they don't know we're looking for them yet. Yeah. And so what would be some things to look for with something like those jobs? What what would be good questions and things to look for, whether it's legitimate? Well, one of the things um, I tell people is, uh, or some of the parents I've worked with is, first of all, have you talked to your child about, you know, getting a job, what it means to have a job, you know, and, and, and check out the phone number first, you know, call, meet that person. And I know kids will be, I don't want my mom or my dad to go with me to a job interview, but, but really we're talking about mowing lawns or babysitting, whatever right now. Um, so, you know, have the adult vet out the, the phone number, the person, especially if, if that child does not know that person or the parent doesn't know that person, do they live in town? You know, does anyone else in the community know that person? Stuff like that. The basic things that um, if you if you were a child, uh, you would want to know, or rather, I'm sorry, if you were the parent, you would want to know for your own child, right? Before mm-hmm. you let them just go over to someone's house uh, without knowing who's in the house or do they have guns? Do they have alcohol? You know, what kind of situation is it? So I, I advise that the adult try to vet that out for the younger teens. And if the younger teen ends up going and meeting or says, hey, I'm going to go do this anyway, then at least either have the tracker on the phone or have a safe system set up, have some kind of code word. Hey, if you get there, Jane, you know, and you don't feel comfortable, text me. No questions asked, just text me or, or whatever. So having those safeguards in place will not only make that teen or that young person feel feel safer and valued, they won't feel policed, they'll feel like, hey, mom or dad or whoever the guardian is, is all for me doing this, but they just want to make sure I'm going to be okay. Most kids will respond to that favorably. Not all kids, but most kids would if it's done the right way. Um, But like you said, if we have judgment or threats or, um, you know, uh, different kinds of of negativity attached to why you're doing that, uh, it will not go over well. For the older kids, the, the, the college kids, same thing. Check it out. Have a couple of your friends check it out with you. Go together. Have three of you. You know, somebody that can call for help if something happens or text. You know, be aware of your surroundings and find out, well, what kind of party is this? You know, who's in charge of it? Oh, it's just a college party. Well, find out more information before you just show up. Or if you show up, then again, use the safeguards. Carry your drink. Don't let anyone else have your drink. Um, if you're not sure, put it down. You know, get a fresh one or bring your own beverage, whatever it is. But you have to be aware, and, and especially for the ladies. 
it is so easy for a young man to overtake a young girl. And I don't think they realize that because who doesn't want to feel like they're the belle of the ball, right? Yeah. Yeah. They and have and a that's date, the thing they have that... a guy interested, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even as adults, we make mistakes. Sometimes we're just not in a good space mentally maybe we're we're distracted whatever so adults make mistakes too and we may we have sometimes have poor judgment so if if a teenager is is making you know those kinds of decisions you can't really blame them and it's uh just part like you said of figuring life out and sometimes you know even when you do have a loving parents you might be in a space where you you're feeling lonely anyway and and you know uh, that, like you said, that sense of loneliness can get us into mm-hmm. so much trouble. Absolutely, and here's the other part of it. You know, it, it, it's a it's a tough deal. Being a parent is a huge responsibility. But let's say you're a parent, and and maybe you're divorced or you're single or whatever, and you're bringing over boyfriends or girlfriends. You know, who are you bringing over that your children are watching, or that your young teen or your college student will be? Uh, watching because that's an example. You're modeling for them who you choose as well and what you do with that person. So again, putting a little more thought into what our children's witness, what they hear from you, you know, how how they're hearing it, uh, whether they're, you think they're adult enough. I had one parent say, well, 14, you know, she can take care of herself. 14, you can't drive, you can't vote, you can't get a job really. Where is she going to go to take care of herself, right? right. And so... That's just uh, that's just abandonment and, and neglect, in my view, which is abuse. And so that's my personal opinion. But mm-hmm. most of the time, if let's just say someone out there listening or watching uh, maybe recognizes that some of their behavior is not healthy towards their kids, we'll call for help. We have national hotlines on both VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com and BeulahsPlace.org. And they're, they're they're not just for victims, but for people that maybe need help, whether it's anger management or maybe they've gone too far and they, they accidentally hit or shoved one of their children, call you know the National Child Abuse Hotline that's listed, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. If you think someone's involved or they're a predator or a victim, possibly have those numbers in your phone and in your kids' phones. So no matter where they are, they can reach out to a neutral, safe person who will find someone in their area safe to help them. That's the very least we can do. And yeah. so, again, you know, the hotlines are, are one easy way to at least give your kids a tool. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, as a parent, sometimes sometimes it's very difficult and frustrating. And and I, I love how you encourage people to recognize that. That is also part of loving, you know, to recognize that, uh, oh, oh, my gosh, I, I went too far. I need to learn how to manage this. Absolutely. We're all human. But when it's between an adult and a child, 18 or under, there is never an excuse for abuse. There is never an excuse to slap or hit or hurt or beat down a child um, 18 or under. Never, ever. There's just no reason. And so um, because that adult is still legally responsible for what happens. Now, there are, you know, people say, well, you don't understand. Well, I, I probably don't understand every situation. But, you know, there are the cases, you know, maybe there's 
something going on. And obviously, I have heard of some situations where, you know, a teenager had a gun or a knife and tried to attack his or her parents. And, you know, that's, that's kind of on the extreme end. The general rule is that we need to protect each other and we need to respect each other. And we need to understand that, like you just said, if we're not quite sure uh, that we're stable enough or, you know, maybe we do have some anger issues, then get some help. Just make a call and let somebody help you before it gets out of control. And that's the piece that I always talk about. Those things are usually our own unresolved issues that when we do the work to heal those, then we are going to be better at responding rather than reacting. There's a big difference there. So, Absolutely. And please say something if people, if you see something. Yeah. What would be the last piece? We have two minutes left that you want to get across to people that to wrap up. First of all, if you have been victimized, it is not your fault. Okay. You are not alone. And there are ways that we can help you and that you can get help and lead a productive life. If you are a predator or you feel you're out of control, you definitely need to Again, let people help you get through this. But if you're a predator who chooses out of depraved nature or for any other reason, um, we are we have a human rights movement in place, and we will find we will make sure that penalties are implemented and that you will get caught at some point. Um, because at some point, predators usually do get found out. It's just a matter of how far they they go before they do. But uh, if you have a conscience, then I encourage you to stop and stop now. And usually, and this is not an excuse, usually something's happened in your life if you're a predator, and this is one of the ways that you're acting out. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. So again, get help. Andy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. It's hugely important information. Call your uh, legislators, ask them what their opinion is on how to deal with human trafficking and child abuse so that we can make some changes. Absolutely. And ask them what they have done or what they are doing because talk is cheap, but we want to know who are the ones that are doing something for the children of this country right now. Mm -hmm. Yes, those are our future and they are our responsibility. We brought them into the world. So there it is. Once again, thank you so much, Andy Berger, for the work that you do and for speaking up, speaking out, being a survivor, being a true beacon, and uh, and helping these kids. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor. And, and if any viewers have questions, they can always contact us through those websites, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com and ViewlessPlace.org. So thank you, Corinne. really appreciate it. And I'll make sure that those links are uh, underneath here, both on YouTube when I post it there and on Facebook so that and everywhere we have this. Excellent. Thank you again. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shift Happens. Please join host Karin Weary for another edition of our program next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We wish you continued success as you discover the true you. 